0: People all over the world are sheltering in place or even in quarantine. And here at RTI, there are even new rules in place limiting the number of people in the studio.
1: But don't worry, even as we draw further apart, Taiwan Insider will find ways to bridge that social distance. I'm Natalie so
0: And I'm Andrew Ryan. Let's begin with a look at the stories that have been on our radar this week.
2: There was drama on the high seas this past week. About a dozen Chinese speedboats surrounded Taiwanese Coast Guard vessels that were removing illegal fishing nets near the Kinmen Islands in Taiwanese waters. They rammed one of the boats, damaging two outboard motors. The Taiwanese ships drove off the attackers with stun grenades and beanbags. Taiwan is reducing penalties for people who overstayed their visas if they turn themselves in. The temporary policy will take effect on April 1st and last for three months. The goal is to reduce the risk that visa overstayers could contract and spread COVID-19. The government will also automatically lengthen visas for all people who arrived on or before March 21st who have not overstayed their visa. The government's Central Epidemic Command Center is recommending that all indoor events with more than 100 attendees and all outdoor events with more than 500 should be halted. Organizers who go ahead with big events are being told to take adequate precautions and have measures in place for handling potential cases of COVID-19. After closing its border to foreign visitors on March 19th, Taiwan has now closed its airports to transit passengers. The measure is part of ongoing efforts to stop the spread of COVID-19. The measure took effect Tuesday and will last until April 7th. Even though COVID-19 is thought to have a greater impact on older people, 76% of recent imported cases have been people under 40. Many of them have returned from travel or study abroad programs scuttled by COVID-19. Although young people are less at risk, there's concern that they could infect more vulnerable people.
1: Now for our words of the week, are you ready to guess,
0: Andrew? What do you have? Risk. Bread. Bread. Break? Yes.
1: (laughs) Okay, many of us are living differently these days, and I think of it as a break from the normal way of life so that we can break the spread of the virus. And we'll be talking to some people, uh, someone in home quarantine, a writer, and talking about uh, what um, quarantine is like here in Taiwan. Mm,
0: All right. Excellent word. Are you ready for mine? Yes. All right.
1: Distress? Distance. Uh Aha.
0: Nice. You know, the key word of late has been social distancing. I think we should change that to physical distancing.
1: Ah because we don't social distance sounds kinda negative, right?
0: Exactly. We wanna stay apart physically, but we wanna draw together in this tough time Mm. and decrease the distance between our hearts, if I can be corny for just a second. Also, a little bit later on in today's show, I'm gonna be talking about how they're using cell phones to monitor people in quarantine, and they can tell the distance from your home that you have strayed. Oh, wow. Yes, so if you're in (laughs) quarantine, you need to stay in quarantine. All right, so we put these words up on the shelves. Let's Let's go. Also today, where's this? This beautiful sea of white flowers is a popular attraction at this time of the year in Taiwan. People head up in the mountains not just for the view, but also to pick the flowers to bring home. So what kind of flowers are these and where in Taiwan is this? We'll have the answer for you at the end of our show.
1: Cities around the world are on lockdown to fight the new coronavirus everywhere from Mumbai to New York to Paris. Now what about Taiwan? Well, this is what experts in Taiwan think Taiwan should do.
2: Taiwan has fared better than most in the ongoing COVID-19 outbreak. The borders have been shut and events canceled, but otherwise, everyday life goes on as normal. But as scenes of deserted landmarks and empty streets from the rest of the world filter in, some here are wondering if Taiwan's luck will hold out. Experts say that so far, there is no need to put Taiwan into lockdown. One of these experts is Dr. Li Bingying, president of the Pediatric Infectious Diseases Society of Taiwan. Dr. Li says it is better to avoid a shutdown, given the disruption it would bring to people's lives and to the economy. He says closing down cities should be avoided, even if Taiwan eventually sees community transmission on a large scale. Instead, prevention efforts should be the focus. These efforts include steps like making sure people disinfect their hands when entering and leaving restaurants or movie theaters, and banning all indoor events that would put large numbers of people in close quarters. There is an important caveat here though, the R0 value. This is a number that shows the average number of people who will catch a given disease from a contagious person. Dr. Lee says a number below 1 means that an outbreak will be brought under control. The trouble comes when the number is higher than that. Other experts say that if the value for COVID-19 gets above 1.7, it may be time to put Taipei under lockdown.
0: Now, so far, preventative measures have been pretty effective here in Taiwan. Most of the cases have been imported. In fact, only about 16% have been local infections.
1: That's why last week the government began requiring everyone who arrives in Taiwan to go in home quarantine for 14 days. And most of the new cases have been found at the airport or in home quarantine. So in today's Taiwan Explain, I'm going to explain just what happens in home quarantine. In today's town explain, I'm going to explain what happens in home quarantine.
0: All right, Natalie, we've got 60 seconds on the clock. Are you ready to go? Yes, I am. All right, go.
1: Okay. Well, quarantine begins at the airport where you get your temperature measured and you fill out a health form. And then you travel in a private vehicle or designated quarantine taxi. If you take public transport, you could be fined up to 1 million NT dollars. You can choose to go home or rent a room at a quarantine center and some cities are giving out care packages like this. You need to record your temperature and symptoms daily. If you have a cough, fever, headache, problems breathing or fatigue, you should call the 1922 hotline to seek medical care. As long as you don't have symptoms, you can go to your home and live there in a separate room and try to keep about a meter's distance from people should also remember to practice hand hygiene also make sure the home is well ventilated and disinfect the kitchen bathroom and doorknobs daily you'll be monitored daily and cannot leave the home and taiwan takes this pretty seriously if you break quarantine then you will be fined up to one million NT dollars
0: very nice natalie oh
1: thanks i made it on time (laughs)
0: Yeah, perfect so now i'm curious to know uh home quarantine and self isolation, right? Is that the other one? Yes. I think they're they're quite similar, they're right?
1: They're very similar. Self-isolation refers to people who have been in contact with confirmed cases. And it's basically also 14 days at home. They just have different people monitoring. It's the medical authorities monitoring those in self-isolation.
0: Instead of like the neighborhood chief for quarantine, right? right? That's
1: basically the same thing almost.
0: Okay, excellent. Now, recently I spoke with a writer, Carissa Chen, who is currently under quarantine here in Taipei. She was on one of the last flights from New York to Taipei that left before they stopped banning almost all people with foreign passports. Of course, I was curious to know what she's been doing for food.
3: (laughs) I have a lot of instant noodles. Um, Well, I also have, you know, I'm fortunate to have friends who have dropped me off like groceries. You know, I've asked for groceries. Um, My very, very sweet security doorman um, in my building brought me like two dozen eggs. (laughs) A lot of eggs oh, that's sweet. Um, and like, bread, which is really nice. Um, so I, I'm okay on food right now. Um, you know, so the I've just been cooking a lot and eating a lot of instant noodles.
0: <laughs> and how are you keeping sane, uh, being inside your apartment for seven days now? What's it been like? Oh, what have you been doing?
3: Um, there's a lot of TV. I'm like watching a lot of shows that I've been meaning to catch up on. Um, like exercise videos. Um, I think because like in America, there's so many like everyone is sheltering in place now. It seems so. There's like a lot of people like streaming like videos live, like fitness videos and things like that. So I've been sort of doing some of that. Um, like online courses. Like cleaning, I don't know. I've been. I downloaded a karaoke app. I sing karaoke like a lot by myself in my apartment. <laughs> um, I'm sure my neighbors are actually sick of that. For the- <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> um, yeah, and like I live in a very small studio apartment. It's like really small. It's lofted, so it's kind of hard in terms of exercise. So I've been walking up and down my stairs a lot, which. This probably seems crazy.
0: What do you think you've learned over the last seven days, either about yourself or about life? Um, what do you think you'll take away from this experience?
3: I think we're really seeing sort of both like the best and worst in people and in human nature and like the way that people treat each other. Um, you know, on the one hand, we have really terrible things, you know, people who are really selfish and who don't feel the need to quarantine or break quarantine or are being like really racist or xenophobic against people that they deem a danger for like no reason than the way that they look. Right. Um, The anti-Asian racism in America is really frightening and I'm afraid for a lot of my friends and family back home. Um, But on the other hand, I feel like there's, I've seen like a lot of kindnesses, you know, like I've seen the way that people have been lifting each other up and like coming up with ways like, sort of get through this together. And um, even something, like I said, like my really wonderful security guy who like just like left food at my door. It was like so sweet. I was like really touched, you know? It's not enough for me to think like, oh, everything I'm doing is to prevent me from getting the coronavirus. Because if I just have that mindset of like selfishness and like then what happens is like you hoard things, right? You hoard the masks, you hoard the toilet paper, you hoard the food. Um, and you're and you're awful to people, but if I start thinking about it more like I'm gonna assume the worst, which is that like I'm asymptomatic and maybe I have it, then it's really about like, well, what can I do to make sure that I don't become a factor in making this worse? Mm. How can I um, do my part to make sure that my community stays safe, that the people that I love and even the people that I don't know and I don't love and but they're just people that are other humans who have loved ones. You know, like, how do I prevent those people from, from getting worse? And how can, like, what is, like, the small part that I can do to do that?
1: Again, that was writer Carissa Chen, who splits her time between New York and Taipei. At the time of the interview, she was halfway through her 14-day home quarantine in Taipei.
0: In today's Taiwan by Number, we're going to be talking about cell phone monitoring for people who are in quarantine. All right, Natalie, we're going to start off with a big number. You ready? Okay, sure. All right, our big number today is how many people have been under quarantine or home isolation since the coronavirus hit Taiwan?
1: In Taiwan, you mean, right? Total. Oh, I have no idea. (laughs) 80,000?
0: All right, let's have a look at the answer.
1: Are you serious? I think I must have saw that number somewhere. I must have saw it somewhere.
0: (laughs) I think she's been cheating again. Uh, So 80,000 have been under quarantine or home isolation since it began. Uh, Now, currently, there are about 40,000 people uh, who are under quarantine and about 1,400 people who are under home isolation. Again, those people who are under home isolation, those are people who have come in contact with confirmed cases. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about how cell phone monitoring works for all these people who are under quarantine or home isolation. Uh, So basically what they have is a new system, which is called an electronic fence, uh, and it's basically a phone tracking system. So you arrive at the airport. uh, They ask you for your cell phone number if you have a Taiwan cell phone or they give you a smartphone. So it has to be a local number. Then they ask you for the address of where you're going to be quarantined or in isolation. Then they pair the two up. And so then they can keep tabs on you based on the signal that's emitted from your SIM card. So cell phone towers will triangulate your location based on the strength of the signal.
1: But what if you don't take your phone with you and leave, and you leave the
4: home?
0: Well, they call you every day to find Ah. out if you're at home. Right, right. (laughs) So that's also part of it. That's a good question. Uh, Now, my question for you is uh, if you leave that, well, I should tell you first that if you leave the address, uh, you get a warning message, and the local authorities are alerted and they will call you immediately as well. Now, if your phone goes off like it's out of power, how quickly are the authorities notified?
1: Oh, five minutes? <laughs> oh, maybe one minute.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow, can you imagine the authorities are constantly alerted by little mishaps, people losing power? Let's have a look at the answer.
1: Fifteen minutes. Okay.
0: Fifteen minutes. Yeah. Interesting. You can imagine if it was too quick, like That's people true. have. That's true.
1: Because usually you run out of battery at one point. Yeah. It's very common.
0: I think it's pretty common. I mean. So you uh, have
1: fifteen minutes leeway to get that battery going.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So so don't let it lapse too long. Now I want to tell you about a, a an American university student who's under quarantine in Taiwan. Uh, he was awakened last Sunday morning by the police knocking on his door because his phone had gone off didn't have any batteries. So he was very surprised, of course. It turns out uh, that not only did his phone go off, he actually got four phone calls because they knew as soon as there was no signal, right? Uh, And they also got a text message uh, warning that the guy could be arrested for violating quarantine. So my question is, how long did it take for the police to show up at his house?
1: Since it went off? Yes. Half an hour?
0: All right. Let's have a look at the answer oh 50 minutes and you can see down there he says my phone which is satellite tracked by the town government to enforce quarantine ran out of batteries at 7 30 a.m by 8 15 four different units called me by 8 20 the police were knocking at my door yeah i think
1: i saw that story yeah. it was a little bit longer than i remembered yeah. <laughs> but still really quick
0: it is very quick i mean of course it also depends on how close the police are uh and of course they're very busy they've got a lot going on they're on
1: top of it man but
0: they're on top you don't
1: want to like you know break quarantine in taiwan yes you know, get fined a million dollars
0: absolutely now i do want to say that there have been some concerns about how the government is tracking people by their phones now a government spokesperson has responded to this saying that it is legal and it is a necessary measure in a time of pandemic and they will only do it for this period of the pandemic.
1: Sounds good. Well, thank you, Andrew. And that is our Taiwan by Number for the week.
5: This week on Hashtag Taiwan, I want to talk to you about what you can do if you're undergoing home quarantine and some notable people in Taiwan who have been quarantined. Now, I know what you're thinking, and you don't have to worry. I am not currently under home quarantine. In fact, this isn't even my house, I'm in one of RTI's menu recording studios. The reason why I'm coming to you from here is because RTI has implemented a social distancing measure. Now you see, Natalie, Andrew, and I can't be on the same set at the same time without violating said measure, and doing so would be a one-way ticket to No-No Town. So I would just like to assure everybody here who's missing my presence on set that (laughs) I'm fine. Jumping right in, the health ministry stresses the importance of quarantine measures and they do so by employing ministerial good boy and spokesdog Tsai Tsai to deliver the message. But people are people and they're going to get bored. So what can you do to stave off the boredom? Well, there actually turns out to be a lot of things that you can do. Companies are stepping in and in fact, one company has teamed up with the new Taipei City government to offer 3,500 free subscriptions to their video and music streaming service called Friday. If you'd rather not be a couch potato, then gyms and local recreation centers are offering online versions of their classes. What about the kids? Well, thanks to Dream's mini baseball club, they can run baseball drills right in the comfort of their own home. And what if you just don't feel like being active? Well, I got this meme here that says, friend, what are you gonna do under quarantine? And the picture just shows someone separating the sugar, the creamer and the coffee from a bag of three in one coffee mix. But in all seriousness, quarantine measures are pivotal when it comes to containing the virus. Taiwan makes no exceptions. Not even if you're, say, number one-ranked badminton player in the world, Dai Ying Now, she recently just came back from a competition in England, and she's been under a 14-day quarantine ever since. Here she says that if she keeps eating without training like she has been doing under quarantine, then she's going to get fat like a pig. But, I mean, come on! Come on! Zhou Tzu, who is a member of the Korean girl group TWICE... Actually came back to Taiwan, underwent a fourteen day quarantine, and then swiftly went back to Korea to rejoin her girl group. She shared her life under quarantine by way of her pet dog and food, and that got me thinking well, if you're under quarantine, why not try some cooking in fact. Vice just uploaded a new video to their cooking YouTube channel that teaches you how to make Taiwanese beef noodle. Now, I know that if there's one day that I have to undergo quarantine, the first thing on my list is to make a nice rack of oven-baked barbecue baby back ribs. Now, that's all I got for you this time around. Until next week, everybody, stay safe, stay healthy, and Andrew and Natalie, stay away from each other.
0: And finally today, where in Taiwan? Now at the top of the show, we showed you a photo and asked if you knew where it was. Let's take one more look at that photo. Of course, we said these beautiful white flowers are a popular attraction at this time of the year in Taiwan.
1: What kind of flowers are these and where in Taiwan is this? Let's have a look at the answer.
2: This large patch of calla lilies is located in Yangmingshan National Park in the northern stretches of Taipei City. It's one of nine national parks in Taiwan best known for its mountainous forests and seeming hot springs. The Calla Festival kicks off on Friday, March 27th. About 80 to 90% of all of Taiwan's white calla are grown here at a place called Zhu
0: We hope you enjoyed this inside look at Taiwan this week. And I'm Andrew Ryan. Keep washing those hands, and we'll see you next week. Taiwan Today with Natalie So.
1: Welcome to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. In a time when the whole world is anxious about COVID-19, xenophobia is running high. But Taiwan has just enacted a three-month amnesty program for foreigners who have overstayed their time in Taiwan. This includes undocumented migrant workers and otherwise overstayers of visas who may wish to go back to their countries. Now this has occurred partly due to the case of one undocumented migrant worker who was confirmed to have COVID-19. After that case came to light, officials were saying they would crack down on undocumented migrant workers. But many NGOs came out calling on the government to give workers like that amnesty. One of those activists is Professor Lan Pei Jia, the director of the Global Asia Research Center at National Taiwan University. Lan tells us what moved her to petition the government on behalf of migrant workers.
4: I think at the moment of medical crisis like now, people are so anxious about the uncertain future. And we tend to, we have the urge to protect ourselves by keeping physical and also social distance from the others. And then migrant workers, people who are Different from us in terms of ethnicity and also nationality, tend to become, are very likely to become, the target of exclusion and discrimination. So, you probably remember February 26, one uh, undocumented migrant care worker was diagnosed with COVID 19 when she was taking care of a patient who is actually a Taiwanese citizen uh, with COVID-19. So when the news broke out, there has been a lot of criticism about the fact that she is undocumented migrant workers. So, well, people jumped to a conclusion that it is actually her undocumented status that led to the expression of virus But in fact, it is actually because her job, her occupation as care worker that exposed her to the risk of getting the virus. So at that time, we really wanted to to urge the public to recognize the situation and also to advocate the importance to protect. The rights of undocumented migrant workers is actually a good policy to prevent from the further expression of virus.
1: If you call on the crackdown of these workers, they won't turn themselves in if they're sick,
4: right? Right. Because at that time, some local governments actually announced to public that they would tighten the measure and crack down undocumented migrant workers. They, they do this to mitigate anxiety among the social public. But in fact, it's, it would very likely to create the opposite result. The migrant workers would hide out in the dark. Even if they are sick, they will be afraid to go to the hospital and seek help.
1: So it seems like the government has taken a turn on this idea, right? Now they are giving them amnesty if they turn themselves in.
4: Right. So I think... Um, after publication of our opinion, the Minister of Health and Welfare Chen Shizhong has made very important remark that he thinks it's a bad idea to crack down on undocumented migrant workers, mm-hmm. and also he thinks the most important thing is to to get them the access they need, give them the information and resources. And, and not to ask the hospital staff to check their ID and to report to the, the authority.
1: So do you see that in times of uh, anxiety like this that people tend to blame? Uh, there's a lot of xenophobia, people blaming foreigners if they
4: can. Yeah, I think it's, I kind of, it's, it's happening everywhere, yeah. not just Taiwan, I right? Know. Like I said in the beginning, I think we have this urge to protect ourselves. And then we tend, to, we tend to think it's safer to keep those people who are different from us away. And that includes a foreigner. And in particular, I think the lower class foreigners, uh, especially the undocumented status one, they are the most vulnerable to such criticism and discrimination.
1: Tell me about this new amnesty. What exactly um, does it do for migrant workers?
4: Um, The government recently announced that they would, they they start this program that will offer voluntary departure program, they call it, for the overstaying foreigners. So usually when a foreigner for for undocumented migrant turn themselves in, they would have to leave the country immediately. They also have to pay a certain amount of fine and it's very likely they will stay sometime in the detention system, and they will be prohibited from re-entering the country in the future. And with this new program, they still have to pay fine, but uh, the, the amount is reduced to a minimum of 2000 NT. And also, they don't have to stay in the detention center, and they would have the opportunity to re-entry the country. So
1: many of the um, punishments you know, are basically waived. So do you think that this will lead to undocumented migrant workers turning themselves in at this
4: time? I think a small number of them would turn themselves in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would think the majority of them will probably uh, feel hesitant to do so. In the petitions uh, we we wrote, in the opinion we published, we emphasize it's critical to give them the opportunity to transfer their status from undocumented to documented one. Mm-hmm. In that case, they will be able to stay in the country and continue working legally. Mm-hmm. I think that's very critical for them because with the new program initiated by the government, even though they do not have to, they would not be detained, but they would still be deported. Mm-hmm. And if they wanted to come back to the country, they would have to pay placement fee again to the broker, oh, so and that will be very costly to them.
1: Sure. So only those who really want to go home would. Oh, turn they are almost sin, ready
4: right? to go home.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, how likely do you think the government would be willing to do what you guys requested, you know, in regards to legalizing their status?
4: It's actually um, not very easy to do that. So, I understand this is not something the government will, could say, well, let's do it tomorrow, because they actually have to change some law or find some leeway to lift that legal regulation up, but I think in the long run, if we really wanted to solve the issue of undocumented migrant workers, we need to open some channel for them to transfer the status, and also we need to remedy the root causes uh, that lead to their running away. So what are the main reasons that these people become undocumented? Well, there are actually many different reasons and situations. Some people might leave their employer because they don't get along with them, mm-hmm. and some people might abscond the employer because they suffer from unreasonable or even abusive labor conditions. Mm-hmm. But based on the existing Research. I would say that the most important issue for migrant workers to run away is because the placement fee issue. Because many of them pay, have to pay a huge amount of money to the brokers um, that usually equal to um, the amount of five to ten months of their salary but of course, they That's don't have the money to pay all of it right. uh, as a lump sum. So they will. It's usually through wage deduction for a period of one year to half a year. Mm-hmm. So as you can imagine, some of them actually would run away to avoid the payment. Oh, and then they get paid directly
1: by the next employer.
4: Right, and mm-hmm. also uh, some of them actually run away when they have to renew the contract because they are not so sure if the employer would renew their contract. But they have already paid so much to mm-hmm. come to Taiwan for work, or some of the factory workers when they before they come to Taiwan, the broker promised that there will be a lot of overtime work, mm-hmm. so they can make a lot of money, mm-hmm. but actually when they arrive, they realize, well, the overtime hours is actually limited. Mm-hmm. So it actually makes more sense, economical sense, for them to run away and seek more lucrative jobs. Mm-hmm. So, so there are many different reasons for people to make such action. But I think the placement issue, the placement fee issue is very key here.
1: So I know there was a call for um, to allow these workers to be hired directly. How is that going?
4: Well, there, there is a possibility for employers to do that. But so far, still very limited number of employers choose to do so. Uh, largely because the bureaucratic procedure is complicated. As you can imagine, for someone who wanted to hire a migrant worker, they must be very busy, so they need to outsource the work, right? right? So, uh, those, of course, it will make a lot of sense for them to outsource the job to a broker. And uh, especially for factories, um, they don't really pay so much to the broker because mm-hmm. most of the administrative costs, are burden are shorter by migrant workers rather than employers. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. From what I heard, because I, I, I did a documentary on on these um, abused workers, exploited mm. workers. Wow. That the um, the brokerage system is actually very corrupt. I mean, it takes advantage of of these workers and and you know so that's one of the main causes that they they get abused or they get ab- exploited. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's any way that that will change in, in Taiwan? Well, I, I
4: I wouldn't say every broker <laughs> is corrupt,
2: <laughs> uh-huh. but I think
4: structurally, brokers has a very strong incentive to side with employers mm-hmm. rather than workers. Uh, sure. Yeah, so that's why, you know, the financial costs, And also when labor disputes happen, they usually side with the employers instead of protecting the labor rights of Mm. migrants. So I think um, some NGOs have been advocating to abolish the system of brokers at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, They wanted to adopt the Korean system. Like the Korean system, most of the migrant factory workers are actually hired through a government to government system mm-hmm. without the mediation of commercial brokers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a good model to follow, although it's probably not very easy to do so mm-hmm. uh, at this moment because we already have this whole system built up. So I think it's very important uh, for the government to find ways to encourage to encourage employers to go through the direct hiring channels. Like I said, right now the bureaucratic cost is too high mm-hmm. for them. And also, I think we need to create some incentive for employers to do that. Um, for example, you you can lower the fee. Uh, collected from the employers, from the governments, you know, for example, like that. Mm-hmm. So we have to make the direct hiring work. Right. And we also need to. I think it's also better for the um, to allow the migrant workers to 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 continue the second or the third turn of their contract without paying the placement fee again.
1: That is National Taiwan University Professor at Lan Peijia, the Director of the Global Asia Research Center of the University. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. I'll continue to talk with Professor Lan next week about the rights of migrant workers.
0: Welcome to the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is...
2: John Van Trieste
0: and the destination,
2: the Japanese colonial period. On April 15th, a statue in a Tainan park was beheaded. The incident left Taiwan shocked. It was a pensive statue. A man sat on the ground, gently resting a fist in thought against his forehead. The vandalism seemed bizarre. This park had not until then been a center of controversy. And the statue is a likeness of a civil engineer, not the sort of person likely to be seen as divisive. But that statue of a man in that park was a historical figure. And in Taiwan especially, history is always full of division. This week, we're taking a look at the man behind the statue, the figure at the center of this drama. We'll see how he used hydraulic engineering to transform this part of Taiwan the ways he's been remembered, and the contention over the period in which he lived. Yoichi Hatta came to Taiwan in 1910. He was in his 20s and a fresh graduate of the civil engineering department at Tokyo Imperial University, Japan's most prestigious school. Around the time Hatta had been nine years old, newspapers had been buzzing about the war with China that had placed Taiwan in Japanese hands. The 15 intervening years of Japanese colonial rule had begun changing Taiwan's landscape, bringing urban construction projects, railroads, and factories. Now Hata would begin adding his own marks to this landscape. His early responsibilities included waterworks, but the biggest marks he would leave, and the ones he still remembered for, would be his irrigation projects. Taiwanese farmers were dependent on rainfall and when it failed, rural communities could expect hardship. There wasn't much they could do but pray and cast lots to predict the next rains. In 1916, Hata was assigned to work on a project aimed at easing this problem on the Taoyuan Plateau. By the time work was finished, over 34,000 hectares in northern Taiwan had a reliable source of water for crops courtesy of the system's canals. You can still see some of these channels running through the countryside there today. Within a few years, Hata had begun planning his most ambitious project. It would involve building the largest reservoir anywhere in Asia, and the third largest anywhere in the world. A long tunnel would have to be drilled under a mountain in order to draw water from a river on the other side. And then, to bring all this water to the farmland, there were 16,000 kilometers of waterways that needed digging. Work began in 1920. The Jianan Plain, the huge area this project was to irrigate, extends across a large stretch of Taiwan's southwest. With an adequate water supply, this plain could produce a healthy crop, but problems like drought and soil salinity hit this area especially hard. Hatta determined that a site in Tainan would be suitable for a reservoir to collect the irrigation water. Work on this project took a full decade. The project's use of advanced imported equipment sucked up funding, and there were fatalities during construction as well. But Hatta's team continued to work. In 1930, channels like the ones he'd helped design in Taoyuan a few years earlier filled the Jianan plain with enough water to irrigate 150,000 hectares of farmland. The plain's productivity soared. To ensure an even distribution of limited water, the plain was split into three zones. These areas would take it in turns to grow rice, sugarcane, and other dry crops over a three-year crop cycle. The rice was exported to Japan, one of the project's original goals. Sugar could be exported too. In 1931, a year after the project was finished, a Japanese sculptor was hired to honor Hatta's work with a familiarly pensive statue. By now, Hatta had already lived out a good part of his life in Taiwan. He also traveled to other parts of the Japanese Empire and to China, spreading his experience around. But by 1942, Japan and its colonies were at war with the Allies. As the Pacific War spread, Hatta was called away to do surveying for a project in the Philippines, recently captured from the Allies. While sailing through the East China Sea, Hatta's ship was hit by an American torpedo. The 56-year-old did not survive. Back in Taiwan, meanwhile, his statue had gone missing, hidden away by locals who feared it would be melted down for the war effort. Around the end of the war, several years after Hatta was killed, his wife would leap to her death into one of the Taiwanese irrigation channels he had designed. As the war came to an end with an Allied victory, 50 years of Japanese rule on Taiwan came to an end as well. The Chinese nationalist government that now ruled Taiwan had fought bitterly with the Allies against Japan. Many new arrivals came to Taiwan with the new government from battle-scarred China. They brought with them dark memories of that fight. Reminders of Taiwan's Japanese past were to be removed and de-Japanization became the order of the day. Still at risk, though for different reasons now, Hata's statue would remain in hiding until 1981. Despite this, many Taiwan-born people who had grown up under Japanese rule looked back on this period and saw some positives as well. The Jianan Irrigation Works, for example. These opposing views of the past are far from being resolved. And because he was one of the colonizers, even a civil engineer like Hata gets tangled up in different people's imaginings of the past. In more recent years, Hata's memory has seen a resurgence and his life has been creatively reimagined in many forms. A Japanese anime film released in 2008 and a Taiwanese drama from 2009 are just two examples. Productions like these hold Hata up in a romantic light. They tell stories of his supposed commitment to equality for Taiwanese people under colonial rule, and they also praise him for his consideration for his workers. One often-repeated story says that when forced to let go of workers, Hatta decided to keep the less skilled workers and to let his best team members go. He's supposed to have argued that the better workers would have an easier time finding a new job. Whatever the truth of these stories, their retelling sparked a new interest in his life. In 2011, a Hatta Memorial Park opened near the Wushanto Reservoir, his enormous legacy in Tainan. Hata's former residents and those of his workers are on the grounds. Local craftsmen were even sent to his hometown in Japan to make sure their restoration work was authentic. And in the park, the date of Hata's death, May 8th, has come to be marked with an annual memorial with a former Japanese prime minister among those who have attended in the past. Here at the spot where Hata and his wife are remembered, an annual event of Taiwan-Japan friendship has grown up. Still, views on the colonial period remain divided, and there are even a few who take their views to extremes. Back in April, shortly after news of the statue's destruction, two suspects, including a former Taipei city councilor, were implicated in the vandalism. The statue's head had been removed just weeks before this year's memorial, the 75th anniversary of Hata's death. A bust of Hata from a nearby museum had to be used as a replacement for the head, and local authorities worked to keep the statue safe. The ceremony went smoothly, with Hata's grandson among those in attendance. But the entire incident once again brought to the fore the fact that in Taiwan, the past is still a contested place. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another Journey Through Time.
1: Today's Taiwan to Explain. I'm going to explain what happens in home quarantine.
0: All right, Nally, we've got 60 seconds on the clock. Are you ready to go? Yes, I
1: am. All right, go. Okay, well, quarantine begins at the airport where you get your temperature measured and you fill out a health form. And then you travel in a private vehicle or designated quarantine taxi. If you take public transport, you could be fined up to $1 million. You can choose to go home or rent a room at a quarantine center and some cities are giving out care packages like this. You need to record your temperature and symptoms daily. If you have a cough, fever, headache, problems breathing or fatigue, you should call the 1922 hotline to seek medical care. As long as you don't have symptoms, you can go to your home and live there in a separate room and try to keep about a meter's distance from people. Should also remember to practice hand hygiene. Also make sure the home is well ventilated and disinfect the kitchen, bathroom, and doorknobs daily. You'll be monitored daily and cannot leave the home. And Taiwan takes this pretty seriously. If you break quarantine, then you will be fined up to one million NT dollars.
0: Very nice, Natalie. Oh,
1: thanks. I made it on time. (laughs)
0: Yeah, perfect. So now I'm curious to know uh, home quarantine and self- isolation, right? Is that the other one? Yes. I think they're they're quite similar, they're right?
1: They're very similar. Self isolation refers to people who have been in contact with confirmed cases and it's basically also 14 days at home. They just have different people monitoring. It's the medical authorities monitoring those in self-isolation.
0: Instead of like the neighborhood chief for quarantine, right? right? That's
1: basically the same thing almost.
0: Okay, excellent. Now, recently I spoke with a writer, Carissa Chen, who is currently under quarantine here in Taipei. She was on one of the last flights from New York to Taipei that left before they stopped banning almost all people with foreign passports. Of course, I was curious to know what she's been doing for food
3: lot of instant noodles um well i also have you know i'm fortunate to have friends who have dropped me off like groceries you know i've asked for some groceries um my very very sweet security doorman um in my building brought me like two dozen eggs (laughs) a lot of eggs Um, and bread which is really nice um so i i'm okay on food right now um you know the I've just been cooking a lot and eating a lot of instant noodles.